We are live. Go. Hello, this is Deo Muano with Persevere to Excel podcast. And I, I know I haven't been a podcast in over like a month. I'm so excited to be on this podcast today. I have Ronel and Elijah with me. And um, I'm super pumped to just have this like amazing conversation with, with them. They are actually um, some of the key organizer here in Manchester around the Black Lives Matter movement that's been happening. And um, they've been doing some really awesome work where, you know, they're stepping out. They're stepping out and they're uh, putting themselves out there in order to advocate for for themselves, right? They're, they're advocating for um, the skin color that God has given them, that there's nothing they can do about. So I'm super pumped to have them here with me and we're going to have a really awesome conversation with them. Music's dope. <laughs> yeah, and our music is by Martin Toe. He's actually a local artist here in Manchester. Super, super talented. Uh, well, guys, thank you so much for joining me. I am, um, I'm very grateful that you guys have taken the time to connect with me today, uh, especially with everything that's going on. There's so much that's happening, and for me, the big thing for me is to be able to have a conversation with you guys that's authentic and genuine. And um, and just to give my listener uh, perspective around why you guys have been, you know, making making this impact. Right. Like you guys are out there, out there advocating, out there standing up for yourself and standing up for the skin color that God created you guys in. And um, and that's my goal. So I usually always have like like a really interesting opening because I, I don't know, I, most of my, my audience members that I bring in, like I, I know them. So there's some sort of a connection there, but I, I, I would say a couple of years back, I met Elijah. I've always known in, uh, Elijah in the community because my, my brothers are, some of my brothers are at his age, but um, my good friend, Jim Torero, we, we put together an annual basketball tournament every year, downtown Manchester. And uh, Elijah has been one of, one of the, one of the folks that's been involved with it for so long. I remember this probably maybe it was like six years ago. Um, we did like a dance competition, uh, during the basketball <laughs> tournament <laughs> and you were just a hype man. Like you didn't dance, but you were just standing there, like just egging everybody on. And I just remember, I think I have a picture of you, man. Like you're just standing there like, Oh, go get it. Um, and then Ronell, I don't, I don't know if we've ever met. Have we ever met prior to? See, I'm slacking here, huh? Yeah, I would have been in, I think, um, eighth, eighth grade or something like that for like point two seconds when you came to uh, my middle school to um, talk about the after school like dance program. Oh, the Bring It doing. program, yes. Yeah, the Bring It program. Yeah, but like I'm actually Congolese, so it's. Oh funny my that, gosh, um, that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> that you don't. But yeah, we've never like actually met. For sure. Well, thank you so much for um, for being here. And um, yeah, I would love to talk about some Congo stuff. Hopefully we can throw a little Congolese stuff in there. Look, what's your favorite Congolese food and stuff? But um, I, I I've wanna... never actually had Congolese food. Man, you're, good. you're slacking, bro. Good. <laughs> you got to get on that right now. Like right now. Uh, when I was growing up, I had a, such a diverse group of friends, you know, from, you know, a lot of Dominican Republic folks, um, 
uh, and then just, you know, Vietnamese people, just from people from all over, you know, as you guys know how mentioned school district is, there's so many different representation there. <clears throat> and the funniest thing is when we went over each other's houses, like, you know, because we're immigrants. So most of the time there's always like a big pot of food that's on the stove. So we will all just like dig in. And I remember for a lot of my friends, when they would come over, we have this thing in Congo. It's called, um, some people call it sombe. Some people call it pondu. Which is it's uh it's green oh, cassava. Oh man, it's green it's green cassava leaves, and uh, you make it with the stew. It kind of looks like a spinach thing. But if you're not familiar with it, when you look at it, you're like, "What is that?" So I remember one time, my Sudanese friend came over, and you know he he was going to work, and then my my other friend was kind of like just looking like, uh, "Do I want to have?" Some? I'm like, "Bro, jump in, have some." Bro, he had a small bite. He ended up asking for an entire bowl. So uh, we need we need a Congolese restaurant in Manchester ASAP. Um, yeah. But I I wanted to open up by you know there's this there the, I I went to the protest on on Saturday was it Saturday or Sunday? Saturday. Saturday. I went to the protest on Saturday and you guys did a, such an incredible job of facilitating that that protest there was over over a thousand people that went to the protest from all over and i went and i just observe like i just i just like observe what was happening and and i got i had chills all over my body like like literally like like i think i cried at certain at certain points like and i was just like holy crap like like you guys are stepping out and are advocating for 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 the black people in this community but also for the black people in general and you guys did it in a way that was so authentic to you but also like the coolest thing it was so organic that it was like you were not waiting to say the right thing, right? Like, like yeah. you didn't have to frame yourself in a way where you were so scared that, oh man, what happens if other people feel offended or what happens? No, you guys, you embodied yourself, you know, and, and that's, that's self-empowerment. And, and that's something that we, we don't see often around folks in our community. So I, I just, I, and then I saw towards the end, I'm standing there. I was fairly close to you guys in, you guys probably didn't even see me, but I, I was just walking. I, I was fairly, I was like really close to you guys towards the end when when we were kind of facing Elm Street and everybody was speaking. Uh, I was oh, wearing okay. this crazy like uh, fishing hat, fish hat mm-hmm. with a mask on, and I was just looking. And I remember Ronell, you said this thing. You said you were trying to get the crowd to listen up, you know, mm-hmm. and, and you said you said something around like like here as as a black woman like as a as an angry black woman you got to listen you know i remember that yeah. statement and then elijah when you went up on the on the post to speak like you you had like you you didn't even have words to express and say i remember there's plenty of times where you just stopped and you're like and you did this thing where you just kind of move your head you're like man and I, and and it was so raw like i had chills from the bottom of my feet all the way up to my hair, and I and I just want to start by by commending you guys for for taking action. Um, I want to ask you guys, like, what what ignited you 
what inspired you, motivated you to want to do something here in Manchester? Let's start. Let's start with you, Elijah. I personally think like the people in Manchester, like they need their voice to be heard. You know, I feel like we're not as big as of a community as you know around the world or or around the United States. So I feel like you know if they if the if the city of Manchester sees like a couple of people, you know, advocating for them and and speaking for them, then more people will come forward to speak. And honestly, I think after the protest, we're starting to see a lot more of that. A lot more people, like, as for now, our phones have been going off the hook, you know. A lot of pe- a lot of people have been messaging us, hey, I want to help out. Hey, you guys did an amazing job. I was so afraid to speak, but now when I seen you guys speak, my voice, I want my voice to be heard now. So that kind of ignites me as well. But, but prior to actually taking action, right? So prior to like you guys coming back together as a collective group, like I'm curious to know, like as things started to unfold, like what made you guys say, okay, we got to do something here. I'm curious to know, maybe Ronell, you want to talk a little bit about yeah. that? For me, it was, you know, me and Eli, we both uh, graduated from Manchester Memorial and like going to school there, like, you know, throughout the whole um, school system here in New Hampshire, but like, at Manchester Memorial, I re- I experienced, like, some crazy things regarding, like, people being racist or igno- ignorant and e- exhibiting prejudice towards us, you know. So, um, Eli, like, even, like, since high school, he's been, like, kind of, like, my brother in this kind of thing, you know. We've always, like, we dealt with the same things, and we kind of, like, talked to each other about it. And, um, you know, during the summer when, um, a few years ago, when Philando Castile and Alton Sterling were killed, we kind of, we were very hurt. And we were just seeing, like, the kinds of things that people were saying around the city of Manchester and on social media. People who we knew and grew up with, some people who we would call our friends. And so we were just like, you know what? We can't do this anymore. We we have to make our voices heard. We have to. We have to stand up. We have to speak up. We couldn't wait anymore for people to mobilize. We had to do it ourselves. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And what what about you, Elijah? I know you you were going to elaborate a little bit more on that question. I mean... What ignited me the most was like, I felt like the George Floyd situation. It hurt different. Like we've been, we've we've always been hurt by cop killings and slayings, but I felt like this one right here was the last straw for black people, and I felt like that's why I was like, okay, enough is enough. Like we need to, we need to be heard. I just, I'm still at loss for words. Right. Like, you know what I'm saying? Because of how raw the emotions are across the world. I haven't had a good night's sleep in I don't know how long because of yeah. what's going on, you know? And it's just, it's just everyone across the nation is just feeling raw emotions right now. So. Let, let's, let's talk a little bit about, I'm, I'm curious to know a little bit. I, I know, Ronell, you were touching it. You were touching on it a little bit in terms of like your upbringing being in New Ham- in Manchester going through the school district, like, I'm curious to know, like, h- how was your I- identity, if you even have to kind of reflect back in between, like, middle school and high school, like, as a black woman in this, you know, this space here, and by the way, oh, bless you, by the way, I just want to say, like, you know, New Hampshire has been a, 
whatever that it stands for, it's been, you know, in certain pockets, they are immigrants and, and black and brown folks that live in certain pockets, even though New Hampshire, for the most part, is like 96 to like, I think it's like 96 or 94% white. There are park mm -hmm. pockets, you know, where the, it, it is a little bit more diverse. So I'm curious to know from you, Ronell, how was it? How was that experience for you as a, as a black woman who um, immigrated here from the Congo? Well, I actually, um, I was the first member of my family to be born in the United States. Oh, so you were so born like, here. Okay. Yeah, I was born in the United States. However, we moved here from Georgia to New Hampshire. So it was a huge culture shock for me. It was a huge culture shock. And it wasn't just that, like, you know, people looked different than I did. But it was that um, I was now doubting my, my beauty. And I was doubting how beautiful my hair was and my skin was. And, like, I was ridiculed a lot for, like, how I looked and being, like, and just looking a little different than everybody else because of my skin and maybe like, you know, I had different hair textures, I was wearing different protective styles and um, in society at the time especially, things have gotten a little better now, but we were just, we just kept reinforcing European um, beauty standards. And so it was really difficult being like a young black woman in um, New Hampshire, but just the city of Manchester as well. And, it was and hard. What, and what what kind of, because um, I'm, I'm always curious to, to to talk a little bit around like the intersection. So like what were some of the stuff like you don't have to go into detail, but I'm just curious to know like like what what made that happen? Was it that, you know, the 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 friends or the community that you were in that was predominantly white or was it, like what made like what were some of the stuff that happened that that challenged you in order for you to to kind of reconsider who you were based on your skin color and your ethnicity? You know, it was, like, um, especially, like, at school or, like, out in public, but, like, mainly at school, you know, like, black women, a lot of the time, like, young black um, girls were treated as, like, exhibits or, like, um, something that you would see at, like, a zoo because of, like, how our hair looks. People would come up and touch it and ask us questions and tell me that, like, I needed to straighten my hair or telling me that, like, my, like, I just, I didn't look as proper, you know, with, like, just having, like, my natural hair or just, like, whatever I had in at the time. Um, feeling as though, like, I needed to go home and tell my mom that, like, mom, I, I remember one time I was in fifth grade and we did a play, and, um, we, yeah, we did a play, and I was, I had a lead role in it, and I told my mom that I was told that I needed to straighten my hair, <laughs> oh, really? which wasn't true, but, yeah, it wasn't true, like, none of the educators told me I needed to straighten my hair, but everyone told me that I would look so much better if I had my, if my, my hair was straight. So I went home and I told my mom that I was required to straighten my hair for that play. And it's weird because I didn't even remember that until now when you asked me, like, what kinds of things happened. So, yeah, that's, you know, it's, and it happens even worse. A lot of black girls are called names, they're called dirty, they're called, obviously, the N-word. They're, things, a lot of things happen, you know, to make us, question who we are and question whether or not we're we're beautiful especially like not just in the united states but here where uh people communities aren't that diverse thank you for sharing that what, what about you elijah if you can recall you know your your upbringing here and i'm curious were you born in new hampshire or did you move here so i i moved here i used to live in uh lynn massachusetts for for a while okay so like like ronell said it was it's definitely different because in my community there was more. There's more black people. And how old did you? People. How old were you when you um, moved to New Hampshire? I think I was eleven or twelve. Okay. I can't really remember the exact um, like age range, but um, you know, I've I had I didn't go through like what Rennell like went through, but um, 
I went through a few things like the way they treat black men or like when I was in high school, the way they treated us. Um, they would they they made me feel dumb. You know, I, I felt I felt very unintelligent amongst my my white peers. You know, I would be in the AP classes, you know, a, I was in AMP or like AMP government um and I would have teachers ask me like are you supposed to be in this class or I would have like my white counterparts asking the same thing when I'd walk in the class they'd look at me funny and you know if if I'd have a question in class I wouldn't raise my hand because I would feel like you know I felt like I was dumb you know those those were some of the things that you know that I went through and I I I felt like you know in high school that they portrayed us black men like that oh like we weren't supposed to be in those classes we we're supposed to be in level 1s or or level 2s you know Memorial High School did not make me feel like you know I was educated. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's like the main the main thing that I I went through within the um like the school districts. Yeah, I and and you know the, the one of the thing that's interesting about talking to you guys is the fact that like like we we went to the same high school and I, I grew up here in Manchester second half of my life I moved here when I was 10 years old and um, I, I when I ended up at Memorial so prior to Memorial I went to St. Joseph Middle School where there was only three oh. black kids you know there's 350 oh. students only three black kids and um, so when I ended up in Memorial I had a lot of level two level three and eventually some um, honors classes and at the time um, most of my classes, I was the only black person. Mm-hmm. The o- like, and, and, and half of it, it wasn't even just the only black person. The other side of it, you know, 75% of the class were all Auburn kids too, you know? Mm-hmm. But I, going to St. Joe's and having kind of a church community that was predominantly white, I got used to <coughs> being in white space and understanding how, like white people operated, you know, and, and, and when I was in St. Joe's, I had a lot of close friends that were white that, you know, I spent a lot of time with them. So at, at Memorial, like I, I realized that. And then at first it was almost like a luxury. Like it felt like a luxury to me, like, Oh, look at me, you know, the only black kid in level three and like level four, like it was almost like a luxury kind of thing because not a lot of us had, were able to be in those classes. But then I also realized, Holy crap. Like this is an issue. Like, and I, to a certain extent, like was a little bit more voiceful because I trained myself when I was in middle school to like stand up for myself. I mean, I, a lot of the white folks that I was with in, 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 middle, in middle school, some of them were very ignorant with certain stuff. So I, I kind of learned how to like hold my ground in terms of rep, like representing myself. So when I was in, um, when I got to high school, like I would still hold my ground in, in, in the classroom. And, but I do realize that I did realize back then that there was definitely an institutionalized, you know, prejudice that was happening, even if they say that it wasn't their intention or not. When you look at the make of a class and you realize that, hey, you know, with at the time, I think Memorial had like 2,100 students. And there probably was, I would say, maybe like 150 or 200 black kids or something in terms of like, you know, black and brown students and immigrants. But ev- most of the upper level classes were all white. And, and I yeah. feel like I feel like they, 
I feel like in high school I wish I had like a, a bigger voice than I like I do now because I know there was a ton of like there was a ton of black kids at Memorial that are were fully capable of yeah. taking A and P classes. Exactly. Fully capable of taking A and they don't, classes. You're not in they're not encouraging black students they weren't to encouraging take higher level classes. All. They're doubting their potential. I had many friends who could have done the same thing exactly. that I was taking the same AP or honors courses or even level three classes, but they're immediately assuming that they're not capable and sticking them in level one classes. I have friends who are just as smart as I was, just as capable, exactly. just as intelligent intelligent and just as willing to work hard to do well in school. Exactly. And you know, those kinds of things like they affect like where we end up in society, you know, like it's not just it doesn't stop at just the high school level and they need to understand that then when they're not encouraging us to do as well as we can do those things are taken with us. Then we decide, oh, you know, I maybe I shouldn't go to college. Maybe mm -hmm. I should just, maybe I should just do this. Maybe I should just do that. Maybe I shouldn't, you know, um, exactly. go through with my dream to become a lawyer, a nurse, or a doctor. Maybe I'm not capable because they told them that they weren't. Exactly. And it makes, so, it, that's, makes it a lot that's easier to settle, huh? That's what I'm hearing. It that's makes it good. a lot easier to settle. That's the yeah. story that happened with me because, like, I I always knew like I wanted to be a nurse. You know, I always knew mm -hmm. I wanted to go to nursing school, but you know. I had doubt because I actually failed um, A and P in high school, and you know I felt like I wasn't getting the help that I could have. I actually took that class again like a couple semesters ago, and I passed with a B. So because the teacher was encouraging, you know, it's just once once we get that level of encouragement that we feel like you know that we can do it. It, it would have made a huge difference. I probably would have been a nurse by now, you know, if I had the confidence that I did. Well, if I mm -hmm. have, if I had the confidence I did now than I did back then. Right. So my, my next question to you guys is, so throughout that journey of being in high school and, you know, leading to where you are now, like how, like, how did you define yourself? Like, how did you, I'm just curious, like what, how did you define yourself based on who you were in terms of your your identity as a person? I'm just I'm just curious because this is like a lot of the work that I do with schools and businesses trying to teach them how to be inclusive. Like I spend a lot of time talking about like, hey, you got to go out of your way in order to understand who the individuals are. Yeah. You know, that's the only way you can you can meet them where they are. So I'm curious from you guys, like like how did you what was your identity like and 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 i'm also curious like has it changed over the years based on where you are now and and so maybe ronell you can start with that with that question you know i feel like i just i realized that i had a voice i was like very you know it was very hard at first to realize like where i fit in and like what i could do but um like i want i thought i was going to be doing something completely different now if you talked to me when i was a freshman in high school i would have never thought that I'd be, you know, like organizing and studying political science and all of these things. But I realized I had a voice and I realized that with my voice, I could make an impact. And so um, regardless of what I was going through at the time and like what was happening, I realized that it was up to people like me who had a voice and who people would listen to to make change. So what yeah. made you realize that you had a voice? Um, honestly, I took a civics class when I was a freshman because that was required. Yep, civics. And yeah, I just, 
there was a lot of stuff that we talked about in there that like hit home a lot of things that you know talking about current events and talking about the different things that we did same thing happened in US history same thing happened when I took AP government and I realized that when I talked people would listen people valued my opinion they valued my insight even though um, at first they doubted me and doubted my ability and what I could say and do because of who I was but when I spoke they would listen my teachers inspired me at some point to you know to keep doing the things that I was doing which is unfortunate because not all black students get that opportunity they don't get that same encouragement that I did so I was very fortunate to be able to um, grow my political voice and grow my like activism through sitting in classrooms and realizing that I was the only black person in there and so if somebody was gonna speak up for my people it had to be me mm. that's awesome thank you for sharing that what about you Elijah uh, it was the same thing for me. Um, you know, I think once I realized, you know, what I go through, a lot of black people across America are going through. And I feel like, like Renell said, once they hear that voice, more will, more will open up and share their stories. I think when I realized that I had a voice was, um, trying to remember... I think I was when I first heard about the Trayvon Martin case. Mm-hmm. My my dad pulled me to the side, and he's like, "Yo, Elijah, like, listen, like, you know, they're killing, you know, innocent black kids out there. Like, if you can, you know, save yourself and save your friends and and save your your people, I advise you to do that. Like, I I learned I learned over time that if I don't say something." And something happens in that in, in a situation, I feel like it would be on me. You know, I, I feel like if I don't say something about what's going on in the world right now, or what happened with Trayvon Martin, or what happened with Fidel Castile, who's who else is going to say something? And that's that's just that's personally how I feel. Mm. I th- this is my next question. Is a perfect segue to that. I'm, I'm curious to know from like your parents, right? Like. You know, and, and um, I, I know from, you know, from Ronell being, uh, you know, being raised by African parents, you, our, our, our African parents have this like, you know, take one for the team, but go and grind out kind of mentality. Right. Like sometimes, you know, they focus more on the stuff that's going to give us momentum. Right. Like because yeah. they've had to endure so much. And then for you, for you, um, Elijah, I understand that, like. Our our African American mother and fathers are they understand the way of the land because they've been dealing with this stuff for like so long and they found their own lane of how they move forward and uh, I'm just curious to know how much of kind of your your parents' value and discipline and guidance has um, kind of contributed to where you are now and do they oh, align absolutely. with you know your your advocacy work or I'm absolutely. curious. My dad. Well, my mom. My mom is Haitian American, mm-hmm. and um, my stop dad. Passe, stop by say. Stop And my dad actually called me crying the other day because of how proud he he was of me. Mm. And you know, growing up, my parents always instilled in me, like, of course, like you guys as well, how to survive. Like those were the first. Those were the first conversations that we've had in my household. It wasn't about, you know, I know like our counterparts would get probably get the sex talk or, you know, how to put a condom on or things, <laughs> things like, you know, but you, you get what I'm saying? Like they've had those, talks. <laughs> those are the first talks they've had. We didn't have those first talks. We, we, we learned how to 
comply with the police. You know, once you get your once you get your license, you know, if you get pulled over by a police co uh, officer, ten and two on the steering wheel. Make sure everything is out of your pockets. You know, talk to them in in a in a in a way that they won't get upset with you. Those are the kind of conversations that we were having at 12, 13, 14 years old. And those were the type of conversations my dad had with me. Mm. So I think my dad instilled like where I'm where I'm getting my activism up from is from my was from my parents. Absolutely. Absolutely. What what about you, Ronell? Yeah, so um my parents are, you know, they're they're vocal about kind of some issues, but they're not really, I don't know. I've, I've taken a lot of their values, but in different ways, you know, mm -hmm. being a strong-willed person, a strong woman, um, you know, giving anything you do to God, all of these things that my parents, like, have taught me, I've, like, I've taken with me, and I believe I've instilled it in what I'm doing. However, when it comes to advocacy, they do support me. They're proud of me. They're proud of me for being a voice. Um, however, sometimes they feel as though, like, I've jumped off a building without a parachute. No, oh, yeah. Because, you know, it's, yeah, yeah. it's, like, it, it came, life came out as fast with this, you know what I mean? So, like, yeah. I know it's, like, it's, it's empowering for them to see, like, what we're doing, but it's also, like, I know it hurts when they see, like, yeah. the people that are in opposition to us and that right. disagree with us, the kinds of things that they say. So, yeah, they, they support me as much as they can, but at the same time, like, you know, we're, we're their, their son and their daughters, you know, so, like, they want to keep us safe, safe they and they want to shelter safe. us, but, yeah. um, you know, it's part of the, part of what we do. <laughs> I don't, I don't <laughs> know if you saw the, the, the picture of me with the, in front of the police. I did there. see that picture. Yes, I did. Mm -hmm. um, my dad called me freaking out. <laughs> He's like, Elijah, what are you doing? Are you safe? I was like, dad, relax. Oh, man. You know, they actually complied with me. It, it's not as bad as it looked. Right, right. You know, they call me every day just to make sure I'm safe. But like Brunel said, this is what comes with it. You know, we're, we're literally on the front lines. Yeah. You know, we're, we're, we're fighting for our people. I don't want my sister to grow up having to deal with this. Yeah. If, yeah. If, if change could have happened based on your advocacy and based on the advocacy of everyone else that's 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 hopping on to try to support the movement, then it's worth it, right? It's worth it. Worth it. Absolutely. Completely worth it. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's it's one of those things where it's like for me, I um so I'm a dad of three kids and my kids are mixed <laughs> kids and um <coughs> and most of the time people are not going to even know that they're mixed because they, uh, they, the two of my kids are predominantly dark skinned. So, um, mm -hmm. and I've been thinking a lot about that as a dad, because I'm like, like if I keep my mouth shut in order to just comply, like I'm, I'm not doing just to myself, but I'm also not doing just to my children. Because mm -hmm. if this doesn't yeah. change, this is going to trickle down to them. That's going to be their reality. Exactly. You know? Their future. If, you know what I mean? Exactly. And if the system can change to a certain extent, or if individuals can change their mind to a certain extent, or individuals can educate their others about who black people are and how to not lead with hate, then that mindset of a change can trickle down in the experience my kids could have you know and 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 that's the same way of like when i think of you know black leaders you know martin luther king uh, malcolm x um you know james baldwin you know this, the folks that were that were pushing the movement in 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 the 60s in the 50s because 
they wanted us to afford what we've been able to afford now as as mm-hmm. black people, even though things hasn't gotten better for us, even even though situations are still horrible for us. But we're, we're ripping the benefit of what they what they were wishing, you know. And yeah. so for us, it's like like I got to a point this like last week. I had a controversial post that I posted this week that. Um, a lot of my my white friends that um, that I have close relationships with felt really really offended by really really offended by and <laughs> you know and I was sitting there I'm like bro like it's not about your feelings or your emotions no. like like if if you if you are quick to generalize uh, and call me out on my generalization of my own experience. Yeah. Then that's your problem. It doesn't change how I'm treated. <laughs> I had, yeah. you I know, had the same, I had the same thing happen to me at work the other day. Um, not even just work, just in general. You know, people will see me on the street and they'll be like, "Oh, like I appreciate what you're doing," but um, you know, I know you're struggling, but you know, we have struggles too, and it's and it's just like, like. How are you going to try to tell us what how we struggle as black people? You know, mm-hmm. you can't. That's something you you literally can't do. Like, yeah. Like, literally, you can't tell us what we go through. We're, we're literally, it's literally plastered all over the world. Every state, every state is doing what we're doing. You know, that that should be enough to tell you, like, our mm-hmm. reality, our reality is far different from yours. Yeah, and I think that's important, too, because, like, a lot – I want to touch on two things. The first thing was that, yeah, like you said, a lot of people, like, think they know what we go through. And, like, they say, oh, the media does this, and they put this out, and they make you think this. And I'm like, we don't need the media to tell us or to show us what people of color, black people, are going through because we live it. It is our everyday lives. We've been experiencing this for hundreds of years. You know, it's nothing new to us. It, It might be new to you because media has grown and people have cell phones and they can take videos, but this is something that has been going on for a long time, and we don't need the media to tell us what is going on because we know we're trying to tell you. We're trying the second to tell thing you. was, <laughs> I think what you said was important that we're benefiting from what our ancestors like wanted for us, or like what people that fought in like the fifties and the sixties for like civil rights, like we're living like <coughs> what they like. There's a lot of things that yeah, things haven't like changed in some ways, but there's a lot of things that have been that have changed and have we've benefited from because of what they did for us and I think that's important for people to understand is this movement this revolution is something that is going to be in our history books years from now these same people that are on the front lines and like of the Black Lives Matter movement and all parts of the country all parts of the world are going to be in our history books and we're going to look back on them like we do how we looked back on the civil rights movement I think that's important for people to understand that you have a choice to decide what side of history you want to be, you want on, to be on and what stories you want to tell. Exactly. No, that, that's so true. And that's, that, I mean, that's so true. And the thing is, like, even even for us as black people right now, like, we still don't grasp kind of like the emotional impact of Jim Crow segregation, how that, like, impacted yeah. the generation before us. Like, I remember yeah. my, my, uh, my wife is grandmother who recently passed away a year and a half ago um he she lived in baltimore so we went down in baltimore a couple of years back during my uh, my wife and i's i think it was like anniversary or something 
And we're asking her, we said, Graham, like, where can we go to, like, for restaurants and movies and all that? And I think we Googled something on our phone and a theater came up based on a movie that we wanted to see. And she just, like, stopped. She was like, she made this, like, comment, like, you guys can go there, but I'm not going there. But she, it was, like, so quick. And I caught it and I stopped and I said, Graham, like, Why? And she goes on to tell this story of when she was growing up and when she was raising her kids, they couldn't go to that side of the bridge. And even years and and she and she was 85. Right. So so this is this is what this is like 30 to 40 years ago that the impact of how segregated Baltimore was that even in when she's 85, she, that, she refused to go exactly it, like like it was so traumatic to her and what she mm-hmm. endured during that time that even later on in her 80s she still avoids certain places that she wasn't able to go to when she was younger and i was re- and i was reflecting on that i was reflecting on that and i was like holy crap like like this is different times like like what she endured was was like insane and i remember like telling my wife i was like like do you understand like how impactful those experiences graham had that it's still instilled in her as if it's happening now you know and 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 that's one of the things that i always try to like ground a lot of my brothers and sisters because sometimes we live on the reality and we tend to forget a little bit about what those moving parts has been that's gotten to us to where we are now um before i talk about um, specifically the movement of what you guys are doing now and where you guys are now and how you're moving forward. I, I, I care so much about people understanding you guys as humans, right? Like if, if I didn't know you and I was walking down the street and I see you, right? Regardless of what you're wearing, like, if you had, if you were walking with a little billboard that, that that had messages saying who you are, you know, what would you say? What would what would those bill billboard on you say? You know, let's go with you, Ronell. What would they say? Wait, this is hard. You're Can walking you, down like, the street. First? You're walking down the street. You got this yeah. awesome billboard with different saying of who you are and you know your personality, what you care about, what oh, drives man. you, what makes like you know because oh, I, because for me, I want people to see. Most white folks that don't interact with black people, their interpretation of who we are, regardless if it's positive or negative, is based on the external, right? Movies, stories, articles, right? That's how they depict us. And then for some who view us negatively is also viewed by those same criteria. And then others who have relationship with black people, they view us based on the isolated relationships that they have with small groups of black people right and they forget that like hey you know black people as a whole and the other piece of it is too what allows them to build relationship with those black people they've then have made an exception for some oh you're different i trust you right but then when they start looking out to the other black people it's it's a different point of view so for me like i want people to be able to know that hey our, the characteristic that shapes who we are is what 
who we are beyond our skin color. The battle and what we're, we're advocating for is based on the unfairness of something that we can't change, that you mistreat yeah. us and you, you, you treat us horribly. But beyond that, this is who we are internally. So you got your billboard going through saying all this different stuff of who you are. <laughs> Elijah, I think Ronell threw it, th- threw it at you. So what, what is it uh, saying? If people... People in Manchester know who I am. Come on, come uh, on, come on, Elijah. What is this saying? What, what does this say? What does this say? Who who I'm are you? Probably, I'm probably one of the most goofiest people. <laughs> so goofy, goofy. So <laughs> there's goofy, goofy going across. Uh, charismatic, um, loving, uh, shit, um, athletic. Um, I think the biggest thing is I'm goofy. Goofy. <laughs> and I love and I love to That's dance. That's true. And what's part of that dance. goofiness? Is it you say you love to dance, goofiness and you love to dance. Like like it, it seems like even when you were saying it, like I read I'm big into reading people's energy. Like you had this smile happening. Like like what is it about your goofiness and your 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 love for dance that that shapes you? Like how does it make you feel? It just well I love basketball too, but the thing about dance is just like I can have a bad day, and if I start dancing, everything will go away. If if I'm playing basketball, everything will go away. Um, you know, I had this big smile on my face because, like, if I see someone having a bad day, I'll try to make them laugh. You know, I I like to I like to see people happy. You know, I like to I like to bring that person out of somebody. Mm. You know, don't be afraid to show me who you are. Show me who you are. That's, you know, awesome. that's the type of person I am. That's awesome, Elijah. Thank you for sharing that. What about you, Ronell? Um, I'm outspoken. I'm very goal-driven. I like to listen to alternative music. What, what, what's alternative? <laughs> um, what's alternative? <laughs> Wait, I alternative. didn't know that. I did not know that. Oh, I do. I like to listen to alternative music. It's... um. <laughs> No, it's you music good. with a message. Like I who? Like, like say, who? Like give, give us an example. I listen to Mozart. Um, I listen to Mozart. Do you really? So, yeah, I do. <laughs> I do. I, I listen much to um, bands like The Script. I listen to okay. artists like, uh, or bands like uh, Sleeping at Last. Um, I listen to Ollie Gotti. He's my favorite artist. Um, you know, I like to listen to music with the windows rolled down and during the summer. You know, it's my favorite thing to do. It's my favorite thing to, like, how to relieve stress, stress, sorry. It's just, you know, being in the car, windows rolled down, music playing loud with my friends, just, you know, yelling and laughing and forgetting about everything else that's in the world but focusing on that one moment, you know. That's awesome. I like Wendy's Chicken Nuggets, and I like to watch Grey's Anatomy. That's okay, <laughs> Wendy's, Grey's Anatomy, okay. You, you said you're outspoken. I'm curious to know, like, what what makes you outspoken? What makes you want to, you know, speak and voice and? You can't let people walk all over you. You have to make mm-hmm. your voice heard, no matter what it is. It's not even just about like this movement or like politics or whatever it else else is that I do. But you know, an opinion when it comes to any, anything, an idea. Like I'm always like giving mine and making sure people know how I feel. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. So so now. You guys have gotten the intention of the city to a certain extent, right? You yeah. had you had um, you had the protest, and then you had the visual, and um, I missed the yeah. visual because I had a presentation the next day. 
so but i saw some video jacob chiza was my uh <laughs> he was the <laughs> He, he was the, the, the person living it. And then he would just like yeah. stop it in the middle. I'm like, come on, Jacob, man. Come on, put it back <laughs> up. Uh, but but um, you, you, you got people's intention. You got the community to a certain extent coming along. And um, so what's next? Like, what do you guys want to achieve? What do you want to push forward? Yeah. So, you know, like we said, um, or like me and Eli were talking about before, you know, the protests and the headlines and all those stuff, those are going to die down. But, like, it's important for us now that we, like, the pot's hot. You know, this is when we need to really push for um, racial sensitivity training in every single police department in New Hampshire. For example, we might do that in the city of Manchester, but what when we drive up to northern New Hampshire and a cop that maybe doesn't deal with black people or ever has seen a black person his whole entire life, because believe it or not, there are people like that. Mm-hmm. How is he going to treat us? You know what I mean? Because like we might be, it might be something down here, but like it's not enough to just do it in the city of Manchester. You know, implicit bias screening. There are police officers who have clearly been racist and prejudiced and ignorant in other, you know, in times of their life, really before they become on, they come on the police force, and those things affect how they act in their profession. You know, um, we're talking about different things that need to be done in the school system. There's large disparities between the elementary schools in New Hampshire. And in Manchester, especially, you know, um, there's a difference between Beach Street Elementary and Green Acres Elementary. There, it's, it's very different. And these are primarily neighborhoods where students of color, um, black students, where they go and how type of education, the type of treatment, all of these things that happen at the elementary school level are carried through to middle school, then high school. And it just becomes this vicious cycle where we are unable to get out of the situations that we are in and really um, put ourselves in better situations. And we think that's really important to... Um, give do better for our black children. It's important, you know. Um, also, yeah. <laughs> we want oh, to thank you for sharing that. We right want now. we want to touch on as well. Like we were talking, we had a conversation about it yesterday. I've been thinking about this, you know, for for a couple weeks now, even months. You know, I work at I work at a hospital, you know, and I think you know you know black women need to be protected better. You know, um, the maternal moral morality is is way too high you know our black women are dying right after right after childbirth and we're trying to figure out why that is we're trying to figure out why you know black women are four times more likely to die after childbirth than our white counterparts and a lot of these deaths can be preventable you know mm-hmm. that's that's another thing that we're, we want to advocate on is protecting our black women and even not even just black women just black people in general in you know in um in healthcare, you know, getting getting the proper help, getting the proper help that they need. That's another thing we we're, we're really trying to stress and push forward for. So, so what I'm hearing, it's not just a bunch of black kids who um, have gotten inspired by what's happening across the nation. So they said, you know what, like I want to do something here too. What I'm hearing is beyond the protest, which has been amazing and powerful and it's brought so many people together but there, there's the next step where i'm hearing system change i'm hearing the education system i'm hearing the policing structure i'm hearing um in 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 the health field looking at uh the mortality of of of, of, of black women so i'm hearing some system changes here and 
what what do you guys need in terms of how can the community come alongside some of those stuff you know that 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 that's the needy greedy stuff that's the stuff that takes time that's the stuff that there's process that's the stuff that you don't you don't give up the battle even when um this whole movement dies out in front in terms of the visibility and the outward of it what do you guys need in order for those changes to you know to put pressure on the system in order to make those changes yeah. start happening vote we need you our know, community we, to vote it starts within our community and then the we white need, house we need yeah voters. we <laughs> we need people to show up for us like Eli was saying and that doesn't mean in the physical sense not putting on an event and having like a large turnout we need people to talk and call their elected officials you know what mm-hmm. i mean and tell them what they want tell them what we need in our communities and in the state of New Hampshire and let them know that they work for us. They're here to make this better communities and better states and better systems for us. We are the ones that put them in office, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I think white people need to remember that, remember the marches and the protests and the vigils that they went to when they go to the polls this November. I think black people, we need to do better when it comes to voting as well, you know. Exactly. Um, historically, black people, like we have a very low voter turnout. And, you know, that's one of the reasons why I decided to study political science is because I wanted to know, like, what works, what doesn't work, why we are the way that we are, why things happen and why they don't. And one of the things I learned this past semester is that a lot of things don't change because we don't change. We need to go to the polls. A lot of people don't like to hear that, but that's the first thing. Your city, your state, they're just as important as those national elections. Just as important. Just as important. Because it starts within your community. Once you see a community change... And it starts with conversations we have exactly. with people too. We need to, um, we need to stop. We need to hold our neighbors and our friends and our family accountable for the things that they say and the things that they do. You know what I mean? Like at Thanksgiving dinner, when your grandmother makes an ignorant statement and says this and this about black people, you need to speak up. You need to speak up. You know what I mean? When you when you see a pol- a police officer. Um, stopping a black person, you need to make sure that you're, you're right you know, there. you're linger a little bit. You know, you don't don't go and escalate a situation, but linger. Make sure that things go okay. Um, make sure you're reporting employees that are following black people in stores for no reason. Make sure you're talking to your children and making sure that they know that it is not okay to use the N word. Like mm-hmm. these little mm-hmm. things that we all as a community can do to make this a better community, a better state, and a better country for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm hearing this. One of the things that, as you guys were explaining, was um, even though some of our communities are somewhat diverse, I don't think Manchester has felt the pressure and the demand from black and brown communities around our experiences here, even though we are taxpayers, even though we are. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think one, 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 of a, one of the best thing that you guys are talking about that we can do is, um, you know, better understanding how these systems work, right? Like the mm-hmm. aldermen, the charter system, the, 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 the mayor's office, you know, the different folks that are, you know, city officials, the different agencies that are out there, and then figuring out like, you know, what are they actually doing that's reflecting our experiences? And if there's areas where we can put pressure, that we're actually putting pressure on them in order to, exactly. to bring those it's changes. It's all about pressure. It's time, yeah. for, it's time for us to like really push. Because like, Ronell said they work for us. It's time yeah. to push. Where the and city spends we're their at. money, where like, yeah. um, how our schools are, um, the decisions that they make regarding like, like just because we talked about schooling a lot, all of those things, that's like, 
um, what you need to what you need to be thinking about when you're like, don't just check off the box when you're voting for mayor or alderman or like, you know. <laughs> well, um, I just I'm oh man, I'm just so we we, we could talk forever. I'm I'm like yeah. I said I. I'm the older brother, Dale. You know, a lot of folks know me in the community, but uh, when it comes to our experiences, it's not about notoriety. It's not about, you know, accolades. You know, it's about um, how do we come alongside each other and advocate for ourselves and, and, and cultivate um, a movement that, that, that allows system changes, but it also, um, you know, allows us to feel good good and feel in power you know especially mm -hmm. there's 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 more younger black kids around in our communities that um that could completely you know change their own trajectory as they move forward as well but i want to say that i am super inspired and i am super proud of you guys and um we're gonna be rocking with you guys no matter what you know we're we're there's there's so many folks in our community that that are ready to 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 come alongside and and um, and the coolest thing is you know one of my kind of um, recommendation for you guys is to make sure that you're you're still creating a space for your own self to be to be refreshed to be yeah. refilled because at times like this, you're going to feel a lot of pressure coming in. You know, it's going to, it's going to shake you trust you know? us as much as you're getting the positive. There's, there's the negative that's going to come through, you know, and it might, it yeah. might, it might even be from people that, that loves you that, you know, that are concerned, you know, they might put pressure on you. Hey, cool off a little bit. And yeah. I just yeah. want to encourage you guys that to, to find that grounding as you continue to, to do this work. And, um, but, I'm I'm super 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 grateful that um you guys were able to connect with me. Do you have any last remarks that you would um that you would want to share out to the listener and and the people that are out there? I just personally want to say we are trying to get to everybody. We're, <laughs> we're we're not ignoring you guys. Our phones have just been going <laughs> off the hook. We will get back to you as soon as we can. We promise. That's what I yeah. want. We're tired, but um, I would just say, remember that Black Lives Matter is not a moment, it's a movement. It's a movement. And yeah. we're going to change. We're going to go down in history. This is change for everybody. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. And then my, my, last, my last, last question is, what's your favorite grub place in Manchester? If you need to get some food, even if it's not a restaurant, it's something that you get at home. Like, what, what's, your, what's your favorite grub spot? Like, what, what's your favorite... Your, your go-to, your go-to, you know what I mean? The Euro yeah. spot, maybe. Yeah, that, that's yeah. fire. I'm not going to hold you. That's tough. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to rock with California Burrito a little bit. Okay, really? okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. The one on South Willow? Nah, it's pretty good. The one on South Willow? It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Okay, I haven't been there yet. I haven't been there yet. Me All right. neither. I've heard bad things, though. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the, the Chipotle people was talking. Oh. I know you like Chipotle. <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for joining me. And um, for my listeners, I'm so grateful to have Elijah and Ronell with us today. And um, if you live locally in Manchester uh, or New Hampshire, please follow their page. Right, It's the Manchester um, Black Lives Matter page. And um, 
you know, reach out. And if you, if you got some, something encouraging to say to them, please just send that encouraging message on their <laughs> wall. You know, hey, we're praying for you guys. Hey, we got your back. And if, you, if, if there's other...